the reality is there's not much new under the sun, but you certainly need to own it and make it your own. So, and that's that's the art of creation is actually being inspired by a, a range of thinkers and creators, mm. and then put your own stamp and originality on that. Mm. And that's when I think you become a true artist is when mm. you go from copying and curating to creating. My name is Sonia Simone from copyblogger.com and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Episode 109. This is part one of a two-part series with one of the leading social media marketers out there. In this first part of this two-part series, we talk about the four things that he believes content should do to really transform from a browser into a lifelong customer. He talks about his Chicago moment, which was a pivotal one in his journey. He explains how to get social media right for businesses and we talk about how to measure ROI. As always, there's a lot of useful information packed into this episode. I hope you find it as useful as I found it. And if you want to access the show notes of this episode, just head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 109 and they'll be waiting right there for you. Some related episodes that you might find useful. Episode 1 with Neil Patel, the founder of Kissmetrics. Episode number 12 with Dan Norris, where he talks about content marketing for startups. Episode number 46 with Kim Gast, the founder of Boom Social. And episodes number 107 and 108, which is a two-part series with Sonia Simone, the co-founder of Copyblogger. There's a whole lot of other episodes that would be relevant to this one, but unfortunately, I don't have the time to go through all of them. Please feel free to head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash podcasts or check out the Productive Insights podcast on iTunes, and you will find a lot of useful content there. As always, if you find this information useful, please do leave us a review on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. And share this with anyone you think would find it beneficial. Thanks for listening. And here's part one of this two-part series with Jeff Bullis. Welcome, everyone. Our guest for today is an entrepreneur. He's a blogger, an author, a marketer, a speaker, and he works with personal brands and businesses to optimize their online presence using emerging technologies, content marketing, and digital marketing. His blog is about all things entrepreneurship, social media, content marketing, and digital. He's been awarded number one global digital marketing influencer of 2016, number one content marketing influencer from 6 million plus daily web updates in 2015 by Opinions, world's number one business blogger and ranked number one content marketing influencer globally in 2014. He's also the author of Blogging the Smart Way, How to Create and Market a Killer Blog with Social Media, which is on several best-selling lists on Amazon. His mission? Inspire and educate people to win at business and in life in a digital world. I'm delighted to welcome Jeff Bullis from jeffbullis.com. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Ash. It's great to be here and look forward to having a chat this afternoon. No, it's actually this morning. This so, morning. Uh, maybe I didn't get up early enough anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> great to be here and... Look forward to uh, just sharing a few things I've learned. I'm, I'm my own crush test dummy, really. So I've just been learning what works, what doesn't. 
Likewise, Jeff. I just want to say that I've been consuming your content for a long time now, and I find it to be very punchy, very useful, very transformative. And just yesterday, I had interviewed Sonia Simone from Copyblogger. We talked about the content that really cuts through, the importance of it being transformative, of it being useful. And as Rand Fishkin said when I interviewed him in episode 38, it's about creating content that is really shareable. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey, Jeff, and just fill us in on how you started seven years ago and you landed in this world of content marketing. It was uh, back in 2008 and I was uh, actually unemployed and doing a bit of web surfing because I had the time. So it was both a tough time, but I had the time to do some work. So middle of a divorce, closed a business, had to sell a family home and uh, was living with my brother. So it was uh, interesting times. Mm. And I came across a book by Tim Ferriss called The 4-Hour Workweek and that sort of inspired me to look at creating a business lifestyle in a digital world. That's what Tim's book sort of went into. Mm-hmm. And also I came across a book by David Meerman Scott called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. And that talked about the power of content to actually attract people to you. And for a lot of people being in marketing and sales, that really resonated with me because I was used to doing this outbound marketing to, you know, do the cold calling, get the business. And, and I built multi-million dollar businesses by doing that. And I do know how tough that is. And, you know, no one really, anyone that loves cold calling, I think is just slightly insane. <laughs> but so, you know, I reckon they're just not, you know, not, not narcissists. They're actually, uh, you know, people that just basically love pain or something. What was your background before, Jeff? I actually was a high school teacher in private schools for the first uh, part of my career and did that for about six years and decided that it wasn't something I could do long term. So I moved into the tech industry and sort of ended up in the middle of the PC boom in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty exciting times and saw the, you know, the rise of the Mac and the IBM XT and AT and, and how that actually transformed computing and then technology and how people worked. And mm-hmm. then we had the telecommunication revolution with the rise of, you know, mobile phones at the size of bricks. And then <laughs> I got into the communication industry as well later. And then I did a lot of consulting for some major telecommunication companies. And that was pretty cool. That for years. And then I did a bit of a sea change and then got into retail. Worst decision I ever made was to get into retail. Right. I don't think I've got a retail bone in my body. <laughs> but I do have uh, something else. And that's what I stumbled into this. You know, when I saw Facebook for the first time and I went, wow, people are obsessed with this. And I just saw how it resonated with humanity. So this, you know, intersection of technology and humanity was just, for me, intoxicating. Hmm. Saw how people resonated with it and I went, there's something going on here. And I came across a blog post in 2008 after those two books that I read and it was a HubSpot blog post and I'm sure a lot of you have heard of HubSpot. Yes. And it again took on the David Meerman theme about content and the power of it and it said in this post, and I tried to find it but I haven't been able to track it down yet, it said have you have an inkling of what you want to start a business on or write about, start a blog. So in 2009 March I decided to hit the go button, started a very simple blog, came up with a very creative name after a lot of deep thought, uh, (laughs) jeffbullis.com. And uh, 
decided that it was uh, that would do. So we we got cracking and we started writing blog posts. And my first one of my first blog posts was an almighty hundred and six words, <laughs> poorly structured, <laughs> basically badly written. And uh, if the grammar police had turned up, they must have, would have shot me and taken me around, throwing me into darkness. So, <laughs> any rate, so that's that's how we really got going. It, it was for me. I discovered as I started that journey was that this was a passion project to start up with. And mm. I think what's important in life, and I think this is everyone's journey in life, is actually discover why they're here on this planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, business does not have to be boring. It's not just about the money. You know, the money comes from, I think, this, I suppose, the intersection, and i use that word again, the intersection of experience, expertise, and passion. Mm-hmm. And where they meet is what I call your sweet spot. Yep. And that is where you need to play. Mm-hmm. And I believe if you discover that, then work becomes play and play becomes work. In fact, it just becomes life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I sort of fell into after it only took me 50 years, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm a patient sort of guy. So <laughs> so that's a bit of the background to uh, how we fell into the online content creation. And the other thing I learned about this creating on the social web was that when you actually have to sit down and write, and I'm sure you've experienced yourself, you actually have to distill your thoughts. You actually mm. have to organise them and distill them into into phrases and sentences and paragraphs and into posts that make sense. So this distillation of your thoughts, taking the cloud and producing clarity, mm. is really, really important. And it's actually incredibly empowering. For me, this creation on the social web is a world of magic Hmm. and that's where I continue to play. It's a very beautiful way to look at it. Something that I think really helps to really distill these concepts from the ether almost and crystallize them into actionable ideas is being able to write good quality headlines and subheads. Yep, absolutely. Subtopics. Yeah. So initially you've got to get their attention with the headline and then the next challenge is Okay, how do I keep them interested? How do I draw them into my web? Yes. So that's really the art of writing good, you know, subtopics that actually going, that might even raise a question. It might uh, pose a problem. Hmm. And, and that should be a problem that a lot of people are asking behind the scenes in, you know, within their grey matter as they try and discover the answers to questions that are raised as they journey through their either business challenges or even their personal challenges. And I think... Content should achieve a variety of things. Number one, it should educate. Mm -hmm. Number two, it should inform. Number three, it should entertain. And I think there's a piece that some people tend to forget and it should also inspire. Mm -hmm. So educate, entertain, inform and inspire. And I think if you can... If you can do all four in one post, then I think you you could hit it out of the park. And that's the challenge. And that's a mantra I have always at the back of my mind when I'm creating content. You know, will I surprise someone? Will I be able to inform them about, you know, some of the latest things that are happening? Will I be able to inspire them to take action? Hmm. And will I give them pieces of, you know, maybe hopefully some pearls of wisdom that they can take away and, and apply to their to their life and to their business? I think it should also transform in some way. And I guess by taking action, it does deliver a transformation. I think the point you made about entertaining your audience is so critical because there is so much information out there. How are you going to stand out from the rest? I was watching one of your YouTube videos before this conversation, and I like how you said 
It's one thing to attract attention, and these were not your words, but something to this effect. It's one thing to attract attention and and earn their attention, but it's another thing to own their attention. And yep. so it's a two-step process. It's not enough just to earn attention. It's to now own attention. And I actually said to a copywriter I interviewed called Kevin Rogers in a previous podcast episode, I said, you know, attention is a new currency. And I thought I'd come up with this new phrase. And I was very proud of myself. And I looked it up online and someone else had said it. But, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I honestly came up with that off my own bat. And I'm, I'm sticking to that story. So Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it basically... The reality is there's not much new under the sun, so, mm. um, but you certainly need to own it and make it your own. So, and that's, that's the art of creation is actually being inspired by a, a range of thinkers and creators mm. and then put your own stamp and originality on that. Mm. And that's when I think you become a true artist is when mm. you go from copying and curating to creating. Yeah, just synthesizing, crystallizing, and coming up with some new understanding. I mean, Steve Jobs did this so prolifically, right? In my view, he never really created a completely original product, as I understand it. The iPad wasn't the first tablet. The iPhone wasn't the first smartphone. But he reinvented the computer. He reinvented the phone. He reinvented the tablet in a way that was completely driven by delivering a spectacular customer experience. That's all he cared about. He took away all the complexity and just delivered simplicity and handled all the complexity in the back end. And that is what made the product stand out. And as you said, well, there's nothing 100% original anyway. He kept looking for intersections between ideas, didn't he? The intersection of the humanities and technology was his thing, which is how he came up with the whole Apple concept. Yeah, and Steve Jobs never actually completed a degree. He never right. got an MBA. He never had a master's. He never had a PhD. Yeah. Um, but you know, basically, you know, he came up with a great quote, which was about all the great things I copy because uh, that's the only things that are worth stealing. So yes. something along those lines. So, and that applies to a lot of the great singers and artists of this mm. world. Was it good artists copy and great artists steal, or something like that? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. And by the way, you know, having done an MBA and having had a CPA, I can tell you it's it's a bit overrated. <laughs> There's some value in it, like in everything, but ultimately it comes down to how you apply the information and how enthusiastic you are with the ideas. And you yep. can get that from just about any part of life. And I think the biggest thing I learned from my MBA is how little I know and how important it is to continue learning. That's right. I think life should be a continuous learning experience. Mm. And that's really important to understand. A lot of people say, okay, I've got my MBA, I've got my degree, I'm done, now I can sit back, sit at my cubicle and, and die in a few years. <laughs> you know? So I, I, for me, I, I love learning, I love educating myself, and so for me, I consume books. I literally would read, I suppose, 100 books a year, and then on top of that's the blog post and the research that goes behind. Okay, how do you do that, Jeff? How do you read so many books? Because I must say I'm not the best reader out there. How do you read? Do you speed read? Do you you take notes when you read? I use Kindle a lot, actually, so I actually then I highlight as I'm reading. But I do speed read, so I do a lot of skimming of the books um, because I'm looking for, you know, insights that really touch me, and then I'll actually maybe highlight them on the Kindle which I can go back and review later. So okay. I, and I, I literally don't take a lot of notes because the problem with notes is then you've got to put them into the computer later. Mm. So 
I do take use my phone quite often to grab some real, you know, like short sentences or phrases I believe I really need to grab and sometimes email them to myself. Other people will use Evernote. And so it's a different way. I've even been known to stop a car and write a headline down. I've interrupted <laughs> a lot of people over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and said, sorry, I've just, just had a really great idea for a blog post or a book or a yeah. uh, something that I really need to weave into a conversation or a article later. So I do it, of course, in a very well-mannered way, um, <laughs> but the reality is that you know those pearls of wisdom that come into out into and out of our consciousness need to be grabbed on the way through, otherwise they can be gone forever. And I'm sure some of you have gone, gee, what was that inspiring sentence mm. that I just had? Because I didn't stop, so I do know that they can often just disappear into the mist. So I grab and write them down as soon as I have them in you know top of mind. Yeah, I, I interviewed uh, Roy Pargavai. He's the author of Lycanomics. She's very much a content curator, and the best way to capture it is on the fly. So I totally agree. That's one of the biggest secrets to being a successful blogger, I think, capturing information. And I think that's what Darren Rouse said as well, if I'm not mistaken, when I interviewed him as well. Let's talk about marketing strategy for businesses. So I believe that a marketing strategy isn't complete without a social media element but I think lots of businesses are doing this incorrectly. Why do you think it's so important to get social media right? And how do you get it right? I think a lot of people are attracted to the shiny new toy of social, even though it's been around with us for 10 years, that is essentially still a shiny new toy. And I think I'd be very careful that you just don't get distracted by that. As we know, you know, young kids and we when we were younger, we got distracted easily by the next toy that turned up, you know, in our mm -hmm. peripheral vision. And I think that happens with marketers. They get distracted by, you know, the latest thing. It might be Snapchat. It might be, you know, a bunch of different new platforms. And, you know, we saw Twitter arrive. We saw Pinterest, you know, turn up. We saw Instagram, you know, burst onto the scene. Uh, we've seen WhatsApp and the list just goes on and on. And, they're all good, but what you've got to make sure is do they work and then is to have the time and discipline to see what they do. Do they produce a return? Mm. How can I produce a return out of this? And a lot of the time people say, well, what's the ROI of social media? Well, what's the ROI of a telephone? Well, the reality mm. is that you've got to start a conversation, but if you're trying to produce a return for business, it's got to produce a real return. So my, I had an aha moment. I call it the Chicago moment beginning of last year. And I went to a mastermind event in Chicago and I met some really sharp tools in the shed called, you know, some, some of the American marketers. And they talked about, you know, conversion and about turning traffic and attention and converting that into leads and sales. And, and I'd been looking at what I was doing. Yes, I was, you know, attracting a lot of traffic. I was getting a lot of attention. I was getting a lot of engagement with my content, but I wasn't doing that last step. So you've got to get traffic, number one. Number two, you've got to get engagement, build trust and credibility with content. Mm -hmm. That's the seduction piece. In other words, when people turn up, you've got to seduce them with your words, mm -hmm. with your information. But if you don't take the last final step, it's all just vanity metrics. It's all just noise. Mm -hmm. So for the last two years, 18 months, I've actually been concentrating much more on the sharper end, which is conversion, getting people to make small commitments, capturing an email so I can have a communication mm -hmm. with them later. And the other thing that drove me too was that I realized that organic social traffic 
that was one of the big magnets for me when I first started was, you know, the ability to get attention from social traffic without paying for it, but just by earning it hmm. and, you know, building tribes on Twitter. And I have nearly half a million tribe, you know, followers on Twitter. And, but I knew, and we, we've seen it happen, is that it was going to be that Facebook started removing its organic reach. So in other words, it became pay to play. So as we now know, to reach your audience on Twitter, it can be very targeted and it's very good. You need to pay the gatekeeper. That new gatekeeper used to be the mass media TV stations. The new gatekeeper of the social web, the biggest player in this playpen is Facebook. Hmm. So you've got to now, so what's happening is as social media has grown up, as it's matured, and now it's being sucked into, you know, the big boys game, you know, the likes of Microsoft, which has bought LinkedIn mm-hmm. and you know, the huge rise of Facebook is that you've got to learn how to use paid Facebook advertising, but also I realized that I needed to capture as much of that traffic and turn it into my own email list. And so I started building my email list and that's been a journey of optimization over the last 18 months to mm-hmm. convert that attention, engagement and trust into uh, building an email list so that I can reach an audience when I want to. And uh, that's that was a significant the Chicago moment that happened for me mm. in in 2015. Okay, so I've interviewed both the founders of Kissmetrics, and they are massively big proponents of measuring everything. The Neil Patel and yep. Hithen Shah. Something they said to me as well was, you know, you really need to understand your ROI. You need to understand the data aspects, the data points, and then yep. make a decision on what actions you take. But how do you measure ROI? How, what is your way of measuring your ROI on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is? Okay, so one way I can measure ROI for Twitter, for example, is that I will offer a free ebook. Mm-hmm. Okay, on Twitter. That will then be, people will then go and click on that link. They'll be taken to a landing page. I can then measure how many people are clicking on that landing page. And I have a dashboard on my marketing automation mm-hmm. platform that tells me how many people have actually converted into email subscribers from yep. those clicks as well. So you have that landing page just for the Twitter post. It's not, That's you don't right. have it, right, okay. That's right. So that then converts into uh, leads. And then I can, then as I promote either my products or other people's product, want to work when I collaborate and do joint ventures, help other people launch their campaigns and digital products that, I believe my audience needs to understand such as, you know, how to convert traffic into leads, how to, you know, generate leads on LinkedIn, how to actually do good copywriting, all those sorts of core digital marketing skills that sometimes social media marketers forget because they're so basically distracted by the shiny toy of social and all they have are these these vanity metrics. Mm -hmm. So then once I have that lead, I can actually measure what my cost per click i mean my revenue per click or mm-hmm. is actually on that email so i can collect metrics right through to the payment that tell me how much i get paid for every opt-in yep. and then you can go back and then attribute a value to your actual email hmm. uh, list so you might say that each email produces you know fifty dollars a year sure so if i go and collect email lists off my twitter list that's the real metric that's a real hmm. return hmm. 
So you're looking at your cost per lead acquisition and then you're looking at how many of those leads turn into customers and that gives you your cost per customer acquisition and then the lifetime revenue of the customer that you get from having acquired that customer is the other metric. So the two ones that really matter in the end are your cost per customer acquisition and your lifetime value per customer. Yes, right. Well, that was part one of the two-part series with Jeff Bullis. I hope you found that informative. We covered a lot of ground in this episode. We talked about how content should educate, inform, entertain, and inspire the prospects to turn them into lifelong fans and customers. We talked about how social media is still a shiny new toy, according to Jeff, and how to deal with it. We talked about a Chicago moment, how businesses can get social media right and how you can measure ROI when it comes to social media, which is always a challenge. In the next part of this two-part series, which is episode 110, we talk about how Facebook is the biggest player in social media, building of email lists, SEO, long-term keywords, and how they're used towards the end of the buying journey, and how to become an influencer marketer. Jeff goes on to share some of his favorite books, which have inspired a lot of his incredible work. So I hope you're looking forward to part two of this two-part series coming soon to a pair of headphones or speakers near you. And the URL for that will be productiveinsights.com forward slash 110. Remember to subscribe to Productive Insights podcast on iTunes and you will never miss another episode because it will automatically be updated on your smartphone. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 